For every young track and field athlete, the ultimate dream is to one day make the Olympics. Sarnia, Ontario's Hilary Stellingworth just missed fulfilling that dream back in 2008 when she missed qualifying for Beijing due to Canada's incredibly tough standards to crack the Olympic team. The next four years became entirely about one goal, to make the London Olympics in the 1500 metres. And as the Summer Games approached, Hillary was in the shape of her life. She qualified in Rome, even though she had the flu. Looking back five years later, Hillary was doomed. There was no way she would medal in London. And this is not because she lacked the talent, preparation, or tactics. It was because she wasn't doping. And the 2012 London Olympic Women's 1500 meter final was loaded with dirty athletes. I'm Michael Doyle, editor of Canadian Running Magazine. And I'm Joan Chung, producer of the ShakeOut podcast. On today's episode, what it's like to run in a dirty race when you're a clean athlete. Well, the Women's 1500 meters final being drawn to the attention of the crowd now in this uh, stadium. There are the records for you. They're a little bit out of reach, I think, of mere mortals these days. 350.46. At the end of 2011, Trent and I moved back to Canada from Switzerland to Victoria to the Olympic Training Centre, the Canadian Sports Institute here in Victoria. It was an exciting time because... I'm getting ready to train for the Olympics in Canada again and that was really inspiring because there's lots of other Olympic athletes here in Victoria so I just felt like I had a family of you know aspiring Olympians or already Olympians and then I was still working with Dave Scott Thomas he was still in Guelph but um, he and Trent coached me in Victoria and my training went excellent. I was able to go to altitude twice that year in Albuquerque and then in Flagstaff. And leading into London, I just felt really good and really prepared as prepared as I could have been. Trent Stellingworth, Hillary's husband and coach and noted sports scientist. After missing the games in 2008, there was certainly a pressure of whether or not to even continue. In fact, uh, all of 2008, 2009 was quite challenging for her. And if you look at her performances that year, um, they're, they're actually the poorest performances overall in her career, yet she wasn't injured. Um, she wasn't having any physical issues. And it was, it was quite a bit, it was emotional. It was a drain of not making that team. And it was her first um, lar- and first and largest failure of her career of not making that um, 2008 team. And so, Coming out of that, uh, there were a few things that happened where I think she was able to fall back in love with running and back in love with the sport. And that included a, um, a trip to Ethiopia with, with a good friend, uh, Miriam Jamal, and, and a few other athletes where she was able to uh, just get back and, and see the joy and love of, of running in a, in a country like Ethiopia. So we run here. From this road, it's 20 kilometers. On roads like this. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Miriam, tell me how was training today? Very good. Here. Very good. You happy? Yes, I'm very happy. No problem with altitude? <laughs> Hillary's coach, Dave Scott Thomas, remembers the period leading up to the London Olympics with a great amount of optimism, 
particularly the Diamond League race in Rome where she ran a qualifying time for the Olympics in less than ideal circumstances. The Rome Diamond League was was just one of those moments that in retrospect it was stressful at the time, but a lot of fun to tell us a story after the fact. Um, I mean, you, you get a few such opportunities, and we had sent uh, Hillary over to do a couple of races in uh, uh, in Europe, and the Dunning League, obviously Rome was a big one. We felt she was more than fit enough to get standard, and in fact, it smashed through, and then she had uh, developed some food poisoning, and so she was quite sick. So how I was presenting it to Hillary with our IST and support group was very different than how we were talking amongst ourselves about it, which was... Uh, with her not in the conversations, it was, this is bad, this is terrible timing, and uh, what a rough go. But at that time, all our conversations with Hillary were, you know, uh, you're there. You have to make a decision if you're getting on the line. If you're getting on the line, you have to be 100% fully committed to what's going on. And I just remember her being very clear about this. I'm getting on the line. But I remember we were watching the stream of it at the time, and you could just see how pale and wan and, and whatnot she looked. And... Um, uh, I remember getting a text from her 20 minutes maybe before the race, something like that, and it just said, I just threw up. <laughs> so we knew it wasn't ideal circumstances. And as such things go, the, the stream was pretty good, but we weren't getting real quick responses and accurate times rolling through. So uh, we just got a glimmer of her, a glimpse of her coming across the finish line and knew it was pretty tight. And then we got the time that she'd done it. And we talked very quickly after the race. Um, you know, and she'd thrown up just before the race and she threw up after the race. And uh, she is a very polite, uh, straightforward woman. But I remember her when we talked on the phone saying, I effing came to Rome to get this effing standard, and that's how I was going home. So, uh, you know, what a great moment. And it really shows her resilience and commitment and ability to not get overwhelmed by uh, far less than ideal circumstances. She just went and absolutely delivered that day. I declare open the Games of London, celebrating the 30th Olympiad of the modern era. And, uh, that interrupted her preparations when uh, Hilary Stellingworth of Canada, Natalia Rodriguez of Spain, and Tissam Lakua of Morocco completes the field. First heat of the women's 1500 meters. The first six will go through to the semi-finals, and then another six on times from the two heats. A big field here, so it could have some uh, jostling here, and they've got to make sure they stay clear of trouble. Just looking at the middle of the pack there, that's Thomas Schover, we just saw in the blue. To make it all the way to the final in the 1500 meter, a runner has to first make it out of the initial heats. The top six athletes from each heat automatically move on to the semi-final. Sixth place, and the winning time there, 4.04.57 for Arigawa, Tomashova, Jamal, Abiri, England. I thought it was Hara, though certainly standing off for Canada was also uh, somewhere in contention there as well. A good run by Arigawa. And, uh, not a bad race, actually. Reasonable times there, 4.04. 
Two days later, in a packed stadium in London, Hillary was in the first of two semi-final heats. This time, the top five finishers in each semi would move on, with the three fastest non-auto qualifiers getting last spots. Now, who's going to really start to wind this up? Because everybody is still there. And the uh, Kaliak McKnight of Australia now moving up and just gets knocked back just a little bit. Belati now really pushes it along with uh, Altakin as well. These two have really taken it on with uh, Kozetskaya. And there's a gap opening up now. And the fastest woman in the field really pushing along. Oh, she's been overtaken by Belati. It was a packed stadium and I absolutely thrive on that type of experience where it's a loud, huge stadium. And the British crowd was incredible because they are very knowledgeable about athletics. And so they know what's going on and when to cheer. And, and um, so, and I had um, one of the British athletes in my semi. So it was, it was very electric and very exciting. Here comes Kozatskaya. And all of a sudden, Alptekin takes this on. Alptekin gets it. Kozatskaya in second place. The is coming through, so is Yusine. I knew that Dukrishpro was in my semi, and at that time there's lots of talk about her because she had run so fast early on in that season and she'd come back from a doping ban as a junior. So there's always talk about that, but I, I didn't think about that at the time. I'm just reflecting back to kind of that year. I knew that there was really good girls in my heat, and I had a chance to make that top five but had to race well and it started off you know decently slow and then it was a final kick the last like kind of 400 meters and I just remember being boxed in really late like till 50 meters to go but thinking okay I'm on the rail don't panic just wait for something to open up and I something opened up very very last minute and I think um, Dave and Trent timed my last 50 as like one of the fastest in the race because as soon as something opened up, I just Robbie, I think, hammered for home. Fifth place. We'll wait. We'll wait and see. We'll get the check on that in a moment. But that was a very good run indeed, and a very well run at 4:05:12. Slow early on. We expected the time to be well, not special, but at the end of the day, Alptekin took that with 4:05:11. We'll, we'll we'll look at the places now with the first five to go through. Yeah, it was close. I think you're right, Robri and ahead of Stellingworth and Hara, but they're all very close together. It was it was moderately paced. She was in on the rail because it was close to her PB pace. Uh, she kicked off the back end um, really well and ended up one spot out of the auto qualifying. So if I remember correctly, um, the top five were auto and she was sixth uh, in that semifinal and one spot out of auto. But the time, it was another 4.05, uh, for me, the, the, the time was going to potentially uh, give her a shot uh, to get through. And then it was a waiting game because I was in the first semi. And it was, okay, how fast is the next semi going to go? Is 4.05 fast enough? And I thought I'd be on the cusp. And so I didn't even go up to media until I finished watching. Hillary ran 4.05.57. And 405.47, so a tenth of a second is what, what made the final. And so uh, I thought, you know, I thought she, she might have an outside shot. But there's also time qualifiers. And the second heat knows then what they need to do on time. And sure enough, immediately at the start of that heat, 
the Russian Tomashova got on the front and and just jacked the pace. Up and now coming through in the middle is the Russian Tomashova. So the experienced Russian has taken up the running with a beery in second place. A bullet now up in uh, She has tested positive before, so you ha I automatically have suspicions. Um, she was at that time 37 or 38 years old. She's definitely a veteran and knows what to do. So she just got on the front and, and cranked. And I knew it was over 400 meters in. I'm like, unless a whole bunch of people blow up, Hillary won't get that last time qualifier because he too is going to go faster. And and sure enough, that's uh, that's what happened. And well, the women's 1500 meters final. That being drawn to the attention of the crowd now in this uh, stadium, 350.46. It's a very, very strong field indeed, as one would expect. Just pointing out one or two of the names. The Turkish athlete, the very strong Tomashova, as Tomashova, as I've mentioned, Adagawi, uh, very, very sub four. Out to Kin. I was in the stadium watching, and I'm a huge track fan. I stayed for the entire night. It was an amazing night. So I was still there to, to cheer on other Canadians in events and, and to cheer on my friends. So I watched it. And a lot of things happened in that race. And all of a sudden now, the second of the Turkish athletes, Alptekan, takes it on. Alptekan lose, Jamal is there. Here comes the uh, Ethiopian, Alagawi. And the rest strung out behind now as they come round with 200 metres to go. I said Alptekan looked good as she looked good in qualification. And really, when you come into the straightway, She's going to be the leader. Jamal is in third place. Balut is in fourth. Then Tomashova in fifth place. But it's going to be a very, very hard run for home. Jamal is charging hard for the take. And there's going to be another Turkish athlete coming through to challenge for the medals. But at the oh, it is. It's going to be Turkey one and two. And then watching the two Turkish athletes, especially the one who got silver when she was like no name leading in, um, for them to come top two and and just finish off and beat everybody else who I know had everyone's deserving in that final to, you know, they earn their chance to be in there. But that was really tough to watch. And it left a bad taste in my mouth because I knew then that it wasn't right. And I figured that nothing would come of it because you don't always see, like, stripping of medals. I think more needs to be done. I think they have to put some financial implications in that because – you know, the gold medalist or the gold medalist who's now been stripped, she got a million dollars from um, sponsors in Turkey, and there's no way she gave that back. So, yeah, fine, she gave the medal back, but it, it's not the same. If they made you give back the prize money that you took from other athletes, that would be a little different. So, yeah, it was hard to watch that final and, and know that it wasn't uh, a clean final and um, that I, I know I could have been a contender in it was was tough Trent says that he had suspicions about some of the athletes in the field in 2012 particularly the two Turkish athletes who showed surprising and quite frankly unbelievable gains leading up to the 2012 Olympics um, I do really recall after the final um, uh, walking, uh, walking out to the uh, to the warm up track, and in there because the the Turks had went one two. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, 
there there was this eerie silence around the warm up track, and I, I was by myself then. I don't recall Hillary being there, and there was a there was a ton of other distance coaches from from various countries that you just know from the circuit, and uh, just a lot of us would kind of catch each other's eyes and glance and just kind of shake our heads because there, yeah, it just it didn't feel right. Uh, Turkey doesn't have a huge history of women's 1500 excellence, and and for two of them to come out of the blue and go one two. And Miriam Jamal was bronze there, our friend. Um, it, yeah, it, it it left a bad taste in my mouth. I knew that there were some that were clean, and I knew that there were some I had questions about. But like, I've raced lots of those girls and spent time with lots of those girls to know or to be pretty sure. I mean, of course, you never can be absolutely sure. But like I trained with Mariam Jamal, who ended up now with the gold medal from Bahrain, um, originally from Ethiopia, because she and I lived half a kilometer away from each other in Switzerland when we lived there. So I, I spent time in Ethiopia with her. I spent time at in St. Moritz at altitude camps with her. I I mean, a year before we moved um, back to Canada, I was training with her almost full time. So I was almost positive and still am almost positive that she's clean and and deserved that gold medal. And and so there's lots of girls, the American girls, I think, have all, you know, been steady progression and and run well. So I know there's girls in that race that are clean, Um, but then there's girls in there that I know have already tested positive previously and had question marks around them. I didn't realize it was going to be half the field in that final, though. That that was fairly shocking. Melindy Elmore was an athlete who trained with Hillary for several years, and although she was motivated to advocate for clean sport, it took both a physical and emotional toll on her. Knowing that things weren't clean and being like highly suspicious of what was going on across the board really did impact me pretty significantly because it's just so hard knowing that people are stealing your dreams, never mind the money and all that kind of stuff, because there's honestly, I don't do it for the money, but it, it just knowing the consequence of other people's decisions to, to take drugs, to be their best and, and deciding obviously not to do that to be my best, but then knowing that's costing me spots in races, opportunities to perform well, opportunities to race well, opportunities to get my standards as well, lost sponsorship, all that kind of stuff is gets really hard over the years when you just feel like you're kind of, you're being held back by the decisions other people are making um, that are totally unfair and that are effectively, like I said, not just stealing your money, like your prize money, your sponsorship, but stealing your your dreams and your goals and what you've worked so hard for. And that definitely starts to weigh on you over a few years because you just feel it's pervasive. In the five years since the 2012 Olympics, and even though the heats, the semis, and the finals are easily watchable on YouTube, Trent's had a really tough time bringing himself to rewatch those races. To be honest, this this event was was quite upsetting, more upsetting for me than her. And I haven't even went went back and rewatched it. I will someday, but um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's an event that that upsets me just the way it played out because there's you know there's a lot of um, uh, rumors and a lot of things uh, flying around. So for example, 
Um, I just try to find the heat results, and I pulled up an IAAF London 2012 event report just now, and still on that event report is Bilet from um, Turkey. And so I'm even more upset now. Hillary speaks of concrete financial losses, but similar to her training partner, Melindy, there is also an emotional and psychological toll that can have a more severe effect. The danger of asking the what ifs, what if the race had been clean? What if I had been able to race in the final? I just wanted the opportunity to race at that level and to to be in a final. Um, And what's tough now is when they take the medals away and they move people up to the other medals, you can definitely say I'm a silver or bronze medalist or gold medalist. But I I feel weird calling myself an Olympic finalist, even though now I I line up to about about ninth and uh, 12 make the final. So it's for for anyone who's ever dealt with that in um, in sport. It's in a bit of an awkward situation where you're saying, well, can I call myself an Olympic finalist? Can I say I was ninth at the Olympics? Because it's not definitive. I didn't actually come ninth when when I, like in the final. So it is a weird situation when there's those bubbles um, where you miss the final because of dopers and um, and then it gets to be a tricky situation because you start to think, okay, well, how much endorsements and prize money did I lose? Um, because of course there's bonuses that come with being an Olympic finalist and even at the sport level in Canada, if you're um, top 16 and top eight, you get extra funding and you get automatic carding and, and stuff like that. So yeah, there's, there's things that come with that, but there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm not going to define my career by you know, what ifs. Of the 13 athletes that made the final, six have been tied to doping, including the gold medalist Asli Alptekin of Turkey, the silver medalist Gamze Balut, as well as the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ninth place finishers. In the end, Hillary Stellingworth's former training partner, Mariam Jamal of Bahrain, was bumped up to the gold medal five years later to little to no fanfare. Unless you're a world-class athlete who is also a medical doctor, not a single person dopes alone. Someone always has to help the person get their hands on doping products. So that's a script from a doctor, or smuggling them in illegally or ordering them in from China. There is always some other person involved in helping doping. As for the woman who won that race and the gold medal that day, who got all the glory and got to stand on the podium, Ashley Elptekin has now been caught doping three times and this year was banned for life from the sport. When we first contacted Hillary about doing this story for the podcast, she pointed out that this is by far the thing that she's talked the most to the media about, which is really too bad because she had a great career. She made the Olympics in Rio. Uh, She's one of the best runners in Canada in her generation. But of course, it all comes back to this one dirty race and this final that Hillary Stellingworth never got to run. So instead of this dirty race being the defining moment in Hillary Stellingworth's career, I asked her how she wanted to be remembered. Well, I think that I represented Canada well, and I had a long career. I mean, I came out of university in 2004, so I was a professional athlete for, you know, 12, 12 years. And so 
I'm proud that I was able to overcome lots of different, adver- um, you know, adversity and, and I want people to just think about that. Think about not quitting when things didn't go well. You know, I missed 08 Olympics. I, I felt like quitting after that, but I came back for two more and I came back for my last one after having a baby, you know, at the age of 35. So those are the things I think are important that longevity in the sport, doing things the right way, those are important. And, and the support system, like you, you can't do it alone. So I had great support with my coach, Dave and Trent and, you know, you need a support system and the Canadian public is, is just as much a part of that. And you want to be known for doing things the right way and that you were a fighter and not that you let other things like doping or, um, you know, different things get you down that you know that I kept going so yeah I'm proud of that I I I quit on my terms like I ended my career on my terms we'd like to thank Hillary Stellingworth Trent Stellingworth Dave Scott Thomas and Melinda Elmore for chatting with us today be sure to subscribe to the shakeout podcast on apple Podcasts, stitcher and anywhere else that you uh, like listening to your podcasts thanks for listening